Hello and welcome to What Moves Us, the podcast where we ask what moves us or more accurately what's going to move us in future. With the Rail Innovation Group's Johanna Randall and Liam Henderson we look at debates, themes and decisions of the minutes that will impact on the way we get about in the future. Hello and welcome to What Moves Us. Today it's just Liam, Johanna and Deb must be on holiday somewhere, can't see them anywhere. Today I have an interview with John Lawrence. He's a long-term member of the Rail Innovation Group who has been supporting the group since pretty much our founding. So if you've been to our events or you've been on our calls, you'll have seen his face. Uh, but now you can hear his voice. So I started off by asking him to introduce himself. I'm John Lawrence. Um, I'm the director for JPL Diversified. 20 years in rail, a relatively unique rail career development arc, shall we say. And the fact that I've, I've worked across pretty much every department, every area. And uh, usually you don't get that opportunity in rail. So, so, you, uh, so you've been everywhere? In a matter of words, yeah. Uh, so I've worked in ops, I've worked in maintenance, engineering. Um, I've worked in projects. I've worked in R&D. I've worked in new product development. I've worked across both infrastructure and rail undertaking and uh, worked on interface with a regulator and all sorts of different areas, really. And it's um, it's been quite interesting. And, and, and like I said, you don't normally get the opportunity to cut across things like that. And I've benefited greatly from doing so. Right. So can I take from what you, in your introduction, you said where you were from, JPL, does that mean then you are a freelancer, effectively, an independent um, person? You don't work for a larger company? I don't work for a large company, I run my own company. And I suppose freelancer suggests I, I work on my own and then some projects I do work on my own. In other projects, I set teams up to deliver. So recently, for example, I've been working on an innovation project with Network Rail, looking into um, creating some new technology to monitor track buckles. And for that project, there were large part physical development required. So um, I, I basically put a team together mechanical designers, structural engineers, control systems engineers, safety case engineers. Um, and that's the, really how I work. It's, it's whatever problem is required to be fixed, whatever situation I get in front of me, I, I have the ability to sort of put a team together to uh, to deliver. Sometimes that's just me, other times it's a group. Okay. And what, what drew you to being in this particular role? I think to some degree it's a... It's a Continuation from a career arc point of view. Um, fundamentally, I'm a change agent. Can't get away from that. Um, I like creating change. I do have a strong desire to do so. And since joining the railway, I've, I've obviously worked internally within Network Rail. I've worked in the Tier 1 supply chain for, uh, for Atkins doing development work. In each of the roles that I took within the railway, there was some or other constraint on me that to some degree prevented me from doing an end-to-end job. So I've been, I've been pretty successful in pretty much everything I've done from a development point of view, from an improvement point of view. Um, but there's always been some open end. So working for Network Rail, you have to work within a department. You have to work within some reasonably tight constraints on what you can do, how you can do things. Um, in many instances, you were sort of prevented from changing the foundations um, but you always struggled cutting across departments and industries. 
So there was always a problem with that. And equally, I mean, heavy, heavy on the politics in there were rail. You had to mind your P's and Q's about how you do things. And, you know, the general sense that driving innovation from first principles is quite difficult. Now, what I recognise in that space, I'm working with quite a lot of T1 suppliers. I also brought a lot of SMEs into to rail sort of before it became fashionable. Um, got a bit of a kick in for doing so, because again, it would have been quite a big change, really. And the organisation saw that as inherently risky. Um, but what I did see is that they were more willing to accept um, a company that would take the risks themselves, do the early development work, bring things to network rail that were less risky. So hence the reason I moved over to Atkins. Um, that allowed me to continue the work I was doing with product development. So I had a big drive at the time to bring PLC control into signal engineering. That yes. is, PLC is a programmable logic controller, the particular type of controller that we would use outside the rail industry for everything. And I've been trying for a long time to get those into signal engineering. And I developed a system or ran the R&D program for Atkins that developed a signaling system called Electrologics. It's a PLC-based control. So that allowed me to scratch that itch, which is a bit of a, it opens up a whole host of other um, innovation that you can do in and around signaling when you get PLC control into the industry. But what it did allow me to do is it worked without the constraints that I would have had on me within network rail. So when I developed the compass system for network rail, Equally, at the time, that were a PLC-based system, um, but I had quite serious constraints on me as to what I could do with that. So, you know, working for the Tier 1 opened up another avenue for me. Uh, but again, large company, um, there were changes going off within Atkins at the time that were changing the organisation structure. That ended up placing quite a lot of constraints on me again as to what I could do. So I thought, OK, I've developed sufficient um, knowledge, I've developed sufficient experience, that I've got something here that I can I can go out and do on my own. I'm willing to take that risk. And it allowed me to sort of get out and spread my wings a little bit. Now I'm in a situation or a position now where I can work across everything. I've got no constraints on me. So if there is a, a change required, if there's an improvement required that runs from one end of the industry to the other, I can work on that. There's nobody saying right. no. So it's interesting what you said then is that you didn't... Well, I'm going to summarise what you said, which is that you didn't have the freedom to innovate within larger structures. So do you think then that's a problem for not just yourself, but in terms of the industry wanting to innovate, that people are not able to do that end-to-end -end or cross-theme view? Um, certainly, yeah. I think also, I think some of it's down to, to risk, for the appetite for risk. If you imagine... Um, in a, in a larger organisation, you've obviously got a lot more stakeholders within that, but also there's a culture within the, the organisations. And the question, to some degree, is what appetite for risk do you have within the organisation? Network Rail didn't have a great appetite for risk. They didn't have a great appetite for personal risk. So as an innovator, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm an innovator by nature, I can't get away from that. The, um, I've got 15, not 20 years in rail. But one of the key selling points for me is I've got 15 years working in heavy industry before I came into Recon. So I've seen a very different way of working, a much more agile way of working in, in another industry. Yeah. Um, so the frustration then it comes about is, oh, I want to innovate, um, but I've got the straight jacket on top of me, which is compounded by how the organisation works, the culture of the organisation, but also 
the, the, the sort of amount of risk that you're really allowed to take. And the larger the organization, from my experience, the stronger, if you like, the desire is to, to avoid risk. But you a counter that okay, a counter could be that you mentioned that you have had 20 years in rail is do you not need that 20, that long experience within the structure to then be able to work out how to do the innovation as an outsider? That's, that's a really good, good observation. I think, yes, you do to some degree. Um, depends, on, depends on what sort of career art you've had. Um, what, what I find is, I mean, I've in the early days of my rail career, um, frankly, I cracked a lot of heads. Um, I came in with the same attitude. I came in with the same... Um, always the same desire to create change, but coming from a brutally commercial organisation as I did, because um, my role in, in heavy engineering, my job was to innovate, to win new contracts, and it was really quite, um, quite aggressive, fast-paced. And I found that I could get things done with a business case, a good idea, and sort of force personality, if you like. When I, when I came into rail, um, just a much wider stakeholder base, not necessarily the same drive to create change and innovation. They're not, they don't have the same commercial drive um, that you get within network or that you would in a, in a, a brutally commercial organisation like the one I came from. So, so you always have a bit of an issue behind the scenes. And I've, I've had to learn to well, learn the ways in which you can effectively create change in rail and culturally speaking, what's required. Now, I've had to make a few mistakes to do that. And uh, I've had my fingers burned and my wrist slapped a number of times for stepping outside the cultural boundaries that's required. Um, and I've learned from each one of those. And all of that learning has come together. Now, I think the one thing I'm missing, or I've missed throughout my career in rail, working for Network Rail and others, is, is the right sort of mentorship. I've always had some good mentorship. I've had good mentorship from different areas. Some of the mentorship I've had has been as a result of things where I've, done, I've, I've overstepped the mark in terms of culturally or you know push things too hard in certain areas and I've been pulled back a bit and I've you know as I've aged I've become better at reflection all of that comes together um so I think you're right to say that you need a certain um time in the cask if you like to mature a little bit to understand Avalon lies well I mean the obvious question is then for a new person who's coming into the industry as a let's say a graduate or something is how long how long should they spend inside before they go outside um i think you've got two questions there about um a your own appetite uh, appetite for risk um once you leave a large organization a you're walking away from a lot of opportunity to develop experience but you're also in a situation where you, you're under your own steam at that point so all, everything lies on your own shoulders at that point so you leave a lot of sort of job security behind you leave a lot of the comfort blankets behind within that. But the first question you've got to ask is, what have you got to offer? And you've got to be honest with yourself about what you've got to offer. And I think in my earlier days, if I'd have gone freelance in my earlier days, if I'd have gone set my own company up in the early days, I wouldn't have had anywhere near the success that I've had. Because frankly, I wouldn't have been as good at creating change, if you know what I mean. I've right. developed a reasonable reputation for creating change, but that's come about because I've developed the experience. I've had I've burned my fingers over a period of time. So you've got to be honest with yourself and I've asked if you've got something to offer. Right. Okay. Well, blunt question for people. 
Um, do you think, well, let's, let's take some more general questions then I have for you, which is um, given your insight and your knowledge now, and you mentioned about your previous experience in heavy manufacturing, going to the mobility and transport industry, do you think it's a good place for doing innovation? Um, do you think that startups and other companies should be looking at it or should be going to other industries? Um, yes, 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 and yes. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I, I came into rail because um, I took the view that it's a place that needed innovation. Um, it's a place that will benefit from innovation, um, but it's also a place that if you do land the innovation, it makes a difference. It makes a difference to people's lives. It makes a difference to, I mean, UK PLC, whichever way you want to cut that, um, whatever sort of buzzword bingo you want to throw about on that, but it really does make a difference to people. And the other part of it is, if you were to apply, apply an analogy, if you like, from my old industry, and it, I mean, it is the world's largest production line, if you like, the railway from end to end is a huge place. It's a huge business. And to some degree, it's one of the still listed, the untapped um, market where a lot of innovation that's already taken place in other industries hasn't yet happened in rail. There's still glorious opportunity for technology transfer. I'm still working on things that's still technology transfer from stuff I was doing 20 years ago in, in every industry. Um, we went through digital transformation from the 80s through to the 90s into the early 2000s in my previous career that the railway is only just starting to think about. So right. opportunities exist, but you've got to go about it the right way. And linking it to your previous question, the, you've been, this is a mantra you've heard me talk about before, but I think the three components or the three corners of the triangle you've got to create is you've got to have sponsorship, you've got to have mentorship for the output, really, uh, to create partnership. Uh, so the idea being is mentorship comes from a company like me, a person like me, somebody that's got the, you know, the, the, the knowledge and experience inside the business, but isn't bound by the business. Sponsorship comes from inside the business, from somebody who wants and needs what you've got. And the objective is for the sponsor, the mentor, and the supplier to come together over a period of time and create the necessary partnerships within the, the sort of client group to give you that longevity that you're looking for. So I think they're the key, key criteria that we'll meet. Right. And how long does the triangle take to make? It depends. It depends if you hit the, the nail on the head. Well, I've had some suppliers that have had the right product at the right time. Um, they've got in quick and they've got moving quickly. Now, the challenge for them is to embed themselves for the long term. Because the problem with something that's so immediate, then sometimes you get a bit carried away with yourself. You don't, you don't put the foundation stones in place that's required. required. So you might get a quick hit. You might have something that's a bit more of a slow burner. Um, so one, one client I've been working with, probably been plugging away for, I think, probably three years, four years before I joined them. And we've got them, got them really selling great now. But we've had to go to the hard yards. We've had to do a lot of underlying work to get them in a position where they are consolidated in the industry, changing standards, doing a lot of the background work that's required within the rail industry to, to get things moving. So... It's all completely dependent on what you've got. And I think for me, um, that's, that's another thing about being honest with yourself, but also picking a 
a mentor that's going to be honest with you as well. I mean, I've had several companies approach me to do work. And when I've looked at what they've got, I've advised them not to. Because A, they're coming into a market that's already saturated with what they are offering. They're not doing anything different to, to what's already in there. And they'll, they'll spend quite a bit of money and get no return. So, okay. All, all applicable to, to your own, to, you know, own situation, your own scenario. Okay. So, what would you, as um, uh, putting you on the spot, but other than hire you, is what advice would you have for new suppliers considering rail? Um, well, I think first thing is it, it's, it's, a, it's an unfortunate irony that um, my best clients are the ones that's already been burned um, because they, they understand, sadly, they understand why they need a mentor. They understand why they need someone that can help them navigate because they've, they've tried, they've, they've hit some several abortive attempts to get in there. So I think the first question you've got to ask yourself is, have you done, have you done your basic market research as a starting point? Have you looked in? There's, there's an awful lot of information out online. You can just do with some lazy internet searches to see whether somebody's working in your domain and you know, you've got to look and see whether you've got something to offer so that's a starting point um you've got to sort of then look and say all right okay what's, what's the sort of points of entry that i could have i'd strongly recommend as you might expect joining groups such as rail innovation group um and like that <laughs> well he's, i mean you said this i mean there's no there's no flower for me you know me but it is it's 100 percent networking you've got to build relationships you've got to build those networks to be able to give you the insight and um an understanding really because to some people it can be quite an opaque industry and i think that's where i've found and that's why i set myself up to some degree to not break down some of those barriers it can be a little bit, a little bit labyrinthine as well in certain areas where you sort of find you go sort of walking around the maze only to hit a dead end what you need is somebody that can lift you up out of it really and drop you in the right place now your starting point is networking it's understanding it's soaking people you mean soaking people up understanding and getting getting the, the knowledge that you need to see whether you've got anything to start with do a bit of loose work with somebody like me it's plenty of mentors mentors about in different areas attend events get out there and see what's happening see what's what's been put forward as state-of-the-art what's been put forward as the art of the possible so it's really about doing that sort of primary secondary market research and, and being honest with yourself just because you've got a good idea um doesn't automatically mean that it's going to fly what i'd also say though just as a, a bit of a, a sort of complication on that is that also just because somebody in real is doing something doesn't mean that you shouldn't because one thing we do do quite regularly particularly in the infrastructure side of rail is reorganize uh, we all we reorganize with monotonous regularity and what tends to happen is certain things and certain initiatives that people have kicked off and got moving with tend to fall by the wayside. So you've got to understand the waves of change within the industry to see when's a sweet spot. The waves of change. Okay, then. That is very insightful and also quite uh, optimistic that there are opportunities for them. Um, last question, which we have, is we ask generally everyone, so I'd be very keen to hear what you say. Which is what advice do you have for new people to the sector? Um, well, you see, follows on more often. Hmm? As in, like new young people. New young people is um, you're in a real world of opportunity. Um, 
and think think bigger than just the UK as well. There's there's opportunities around the world. There's a real massive area in rail that's untapped as yet. You can really make a mark. I think the question is, is where do you start? It doesn't really matter where you start. Once you get into the rail industry, you can grow from there. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of, of, of some railway luminaries that, that started as, as train dispatchers and then are now leading the industry. And we've got people that's coming at the side from other industries. Um, we started in the chemical industry and now lead the industry. So there are no real boundaries on you. And don't allow boundaries to be put on you because there aren't any, really. You, you can navigate those. You don't have to come in with a degree. I mean, I started life as an apprentice. I started life as an apprentice electrician. And the practical start has stood me in very good stead. Um, I did my degree open learning. And the extra 10 years work experience I've got in that has made me 10 years in front of a comparable graduate. So the, I mean, don't think there are any boundaries. And don't be put off joining rail just because we're getting a bit of bad politics at the minute. That'll pass by. All the times will pass by. There's always change in the industry, um, but worldwide, it's it's a glorious opportunity. You can work anywhere in the world on rail. Um, you can work in light rail, heavy rail. Um, you can work in improvement. You can work in ops. And uh, what I would say is, is find your find your niche. Understand yourself. Understand your personality type. Understand the sorts of things that you like to work on, and go and search for it. Yeah. Cool. Brilliant. Thanks, that Tom. Okay, sir. Nice to talk to you. Good optimism. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Moves Us. We hope we moved you. For more episodes, you'll definitely want to subscribe to our channel. Until next time.